you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Hello? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons-Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Psychic on the Scene. And I am more than a little excited, actually even a little nervous, to have on tonight's guest. Um, his name, I don't want to mispronounce her last name, Ralph, Ralph Sirachi. Is that how you say it? It's Saatchi. Saatchi. Okay. Saatchi. Yeah. Saatchi. Um, <laughs> so, um, you came to us through one of our other guests. And so once I got your name, I contacted you and started to do research and I was blown away. So you know. Ralph is a retired, uh, NYPD sergeant and has um, now dedicated your life, correct, to um, working with people as a demonologist. Yeah, pretty much. You, you, you got it down pat. <laughs> okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you for your service in law enforcement. We appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're big with people in the military and law enforcement. So hurrah yeah. for that. Um, so how, did, how does a guy like you wind up in a place like this? I mean, <laughs> I, I, first of all, um, I started reading excerpts of the book and I will read the entire book. Um, and your book is Beware the Night. And it was turned into a 2014 movie, uh, Deliver Us From Evil. And to our listeners, it is amazing. It's an amazing movie absolutely um captivating um and i know that would they take some license ralph when they do this stuff but um did you ever even as a child anticipate that your uh, your life your ability or you know that you would be doing this kind of work as a child no um no i i even though i read about the subject since i was around 11, 12 years old, uh, it sort of scared me, really? to tell you the truth. Uh, right up into my, uh, my adult, uh, adult years, I was always interested in the subject, and I would, I would read any book I could get. Mostly the Warrens wrote the books that I read. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I remember just reading one of their stories. I think I was about 22 years old. I was, I was already a cop for about a year. And I was reading the book and uh, I was like, are these people nuts? How could they even want to get involved in this stuff? You know, Think I about no that though, Ralph, probably back when you were 22, the, the Warrens, who I am absolutely enthralled by also, they did things that were groundbreaking and nobody wanted to hear about it. Like just a small sector of the community wanted to listen to, they really were like poo-pooed. And they're amazing people. We're amazing people. Well, they were definitely pioneers in the, in the field. Um, and it opened up some doors for me as far as my introduction to uh, Bishop McKenna and Father Malachi Martin, who, you know, are the epitome uh, of the field of exorcism, uh, you know, as, as exorcist. And, and not only right. that, my Catholic faith, um, I, I owe a, an awful lot to those two men, you know, for as, as far as my traditional Catholic faith is concerned, you know, which I've continued till this this very day, you know, um, with with the traditional Catholic faith. So, you know, it's, it's very important, especially in this field. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Michelle and I are both um, Catholics and um, practicing Catholics. And I, one of the things I will say to people, Ralph, a lot of times when they come to me and, and, and you obviously um, probably have a different perspective, but when they ask me about things like this, that is particularly might be scary or happening. And then I'll say, well, what is your faith? Because I want to be respectful of whatever their faith is when I'm speaking to them. And it always shocks me when they say, well, I have no faith. And I think, oh, we got a big problem. Yeah, no protection. Oh. Yeah, we well, have a big that's, problem. That's one of the first, when I do an initial interview over the phone, I don't really want to know the first time I speak to people, 
I might get a little bit of a background on why they're mm -hmm. calling me. Mm -hmm. But that first phone call that I um, have with those people is all about faith. Uh, because mm -hmm. if, if people don't practice a faith or they're not baptized, more importantly, or they have maybe family members that haven't been baptized, I refuse to work with them any further until, well, you know, I get, I get uh, the, the faith that they're involved in or the people around them usually children, sometimes themselves, is to start the process of baptism or I will not continue with the case. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. You're the first person I've ever heard say that um, so specifically, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're, if you're fighting evil, they're going to go towards something that is, that has no basis of belief or, or faith. So no, I, I, I really embrace that. Well, that's your spiritual protection. Yep. If, if you have no spiritual protection, then anything that I do uh, could put you into more of a dangerous situation than you're already in at the present. Um, and, and I try to get people to understand this, you know, that without right. that spiritual protection, there isn't really anything that I could do for them. So when you were a kid growing up, I know it said a lot that you, you were the guy that always had the hunches when you worked in law enforcement and um, that led you to the work. Um, do you think that when you were a kid that you were getting some of the similar signs or messages, feelings, but maybe you didn't think of it as something um, that was a message, just like what normal people do, that they feel things, they sense things? Well, like you mentioned earlier, that's some more Hollywood hype. Um, I didn't have radar um, as a cop. Although a lot of times I would go on my gut feeling, which mm -hmm. is a form of, you know, intuition. Agreed, um, for sure. The only, the only time I really have a discernment aspect is when I'm actively inv involved in investigating a case. I don't have that, you know, um, outside of um, actually being active in a case. Right. Um, I don't know why this is. Uh, you know, I don't understand a lot of things, yeah. uh, you know, why God does a lot of things that he does. But the gift of discernment is one of the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And it sometimes is. I'll have it and sometimes I won't have it. And I would only have to assume that it's for my own good. Actually. It is. Um, yes. Because with the type of temperament I have, I might use that against somebody, you know, and that's the only maybe rational explanation I could come up with trying to figure out why God might be doing, why he might do something is like one hand clapping, you know, it's futile. <laughs> right. So I, I, I give up on that I don't do it. <laughs> so, and you're, you're always working on, I, I would assume, or you get contacted quite often to evaluate um, new cases of possession. And if I'm understanding this correctly, um, you spoke of, or they speak of in the movie, um, is there's a difference between secondary evil and primary evil. Yes. Can you can you speak to that a little bit uh, to our our listeners about that? Because I thought that was a fascinating. I've never heard that term before, and I think right. it's fascinating. Well, primary evil is the evil that comes directly from the devil, and secondary evil is the evil that we do as human beings. Now, all evil comes from the devil, but a lot of times the devil doesn't have a dominion over a person's free will. So he can't force anybody to do anything, you know, and God will not force anybody to go against their free will. It's a gift, actually. It's one of the two faculties of the soul, which are intellect, intellect and free will. So um, God does not interfere with that gift and the devil can't. So what he does is he'll influence people to do 
um, you know, evil acts or inspire people to do evil, which is what is constantly trying to do. Right. So um, that's pretty much the difference between primary evil and secondary evil. It's yeah. and it makes complete sense because I'm a huge believer. And I know Michelle is as well, that we even if you have a life path or a God path, Mm-hmm. that you still have free will and part of your story that while you're here. So whatever your God contract is, you still have to make some decisions. You could come from an alcoholic family and, and have that genetically dispositioned in your, in your body, but you make a free will conscious, conscious. effort in this lifetime to say, Nope, not going to do that. I'm going to do, this is going to be my story. So that, when I heard that, I thought that was fascinating. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the two priests that the Jesuit priests that you worked with um, and, and um, Malachi Martin has now passed, correct? Well, both, both Father Martin and Bishop McKenna have passed. Oh. Father Martin was a Jesuit priest. Bishop McKenna was a Dominican priest. Interesting. They, they were so different, both these men. They, their holiness oh. parallel paralleled one another but their their personalities were completely opposite from one another bishop mckenna was more um he he stuck to his pastoral duties you know a a, a lot of the negative negative things that have been said about bishop mckenna really um were really unfounded Um, he was a traditional catholic priest he did not leave the mainstream catholic church to perform exorcisms that was not the case. He, uh, what, he did not accept the changes in the Second Vatican Council. The same exact reason why Father Martin left is he did not accept the changes within the Second oh, Vatican Council. Okay. Neither men left the mainstream Catholic Church to perform exorcisms. It just happened to be something that God put in their path. And they were strong enough in their faith and holy enough to answer the call in the affirmative and to help the children of God who were having these problems. Right. But Bishop, Bishop McKenna was more along the lines of pastoral duty. He had a church to run. He had a congregation to take care of. Father Martin, on the other hand, lived more of a secular life, but didn't give up his pastoral duties, um, you know, as far as being connected to a particular parish mm-hmm. and, and a particular congregation but both men ministered to the children of god in the same way um that that they were supposed to according to their uh you know to their ordination rights but um you know uh differently from one another at the same time they were both dynamite so and and who um which which priest started with you first was it mckenna i was working with mr mckenna first and then eventually, um, it was actually, um, I, I was home one day and I got a phone call from one of, uh, one of the investigators that worked with the Warrens, who's now a priest actually himself. Oh. He called me up and he said, Ralph, could you pick up Father Malachi Martin? And I says, wait a minute, the Father Malachi Martin? He's like, yeah, um, we're going to bring him up to Connecticut to give a That's lecture. That's the case I wanted Would to you ask pick you him up? about. And bring him up there. So I'm like, if I had to crawl on my hands and knees with him on my back, of course I'll do that. So that was my introduction to Father Martin. I met him in Manhattan and became friends with him like right off the bat. Oh, I love that. So when I spoke to you the other day, I said to you, as soon as I saw on your thing that you had worked with the Warrens, I was always fascinated that on many of their stories, they had worked with law enforcement, and I said to you, were you that guy that they were referencing in, in the different stories? And the one was the Connecticut case. Did you help on that? Um, no, I wasn't involved in the work at that time. Okay. I, I did have Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, come down to New York to uh, look into a homicide, Um and that was done actually. And Lorraine picked up on a whole lot of things and had a lot of skeptical people, you know, um, scratching their heads like, 
how the heck did she know that? Because the two detectives that approached me said, we want, uh, we want you to try and get um, Ed and Lorraine down here uh, to look at the homicide. I said, don't tell me anything about the homicide. I don't want to know nothing. Don't say a word. And they didn't. I knew nothing about the, the homicide they were working on. And um, I had gone up to Connecticut, one of the detectives to pick, pick them up. And Lorraine sat in front and she was telling the detective all about himself. And he was driving and I could see him from the side. I was in the back. I was hysterical because he was a skeptic. She started mm -hmm. to tell him a lot of things that she shouldn't have known. And I was, I couldn't help it. I was in the back. I was laughing because I was, you know, that's the way cops are with one another. We, we you know, we, we like to tease one another. So I, I enjoyed that ride immensely, but uh, she was able to pick up on a lot of stuff. What an amazing connection, yeah. though, that you got to to witness her and her husband and um, and meet them. I mean, I just think that that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and then it went into now is Father Mendoza. He is a real person, correct? No. Oh, so he's, he's an amalgamation. He's more Hollywood high. He was a <laughs> Scott Derrickson um, made a, a compilation of fa mm -hmm. Father. Uh, Father Martin and Bishop McKenna, and he put him into the character of Father Mendoza because, and I asked him, I says, why, you know, wh why are we going with a Father Mendoza? He said, because, um, you know, Hollywood portrays, when they portray an exorcist, he's an old white guy, like Bishop McKenna and Father Martin, actually all white guys. But for the, for Hollywood, he wanted to reach more of a broader audience so, right. you know, Scott Derrickson was brilliant with the things that he had done, um, even to the point where he made me a murderer. I had a I had a conversation with him, you know, um, we were in a diner together and uh, in the early portion of uh, principal photography. And he said, I said something about uh, Beware the Night. And he says, you know, Ralph, they're going to change the title. And I got really angry about that. I says. You, what do you mean you're going to change the title to the book? I says, you, isn't it enough? You already made me a murderer. So he, you know, he started to laugh at that. But, you know, I just want to let everybody know that the Beware the Night and Deliver Us from Evil are the same book. So don't go out and buy both if you if that's your thing, you know. It's right. buy one or the other, but they're the same book. As so many people tell me, I bought both books and they're the same book. I'm like, I'm sorry. I had nothing to do with that. You, you got nothing to do with that. What, what Barnes I didn't want to change it. I didn't want to change the title of the book, but they did, you know. So talk to us about your, the first, the first case, that case that you wrote about. I, I mean, I know that the book is actually a compilation even of, of stories, short stories, correct? It's a, a compilation of all my cases. Um, right. I, I I had to pick and choose which cases I was going to use because I wanted to show maybe the three stages of diabolical activity. Um, oh, okay. So, things... Wait a minute. So hold up. Talk about that. That's yeah. very okay. significant, the three stages. You ask the question, I'll answer it, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. The three stages of diabol diabolical activity are infestation, oppression slash obsession, and possession. Mm -hmm. um, and there are different things that take place in each stage. Okay. Like um, in the infestation stage, a lot of the phenomenon is very subtle. It could be overlooked, actually. If people aren't in tune to what's going on around them, uh, some of these things can, you know, be overlooked, like things moving around the house. Right. You know, people might not even realize that, oh, I left my keys on the counter. And they were on my bed in the bedroom. You know, they, they're so absent-minded that they might not notice that, you know. Right. They think, oh, I, I did that. I threw the keys on the bed. And, you know, um, and it usually happens to one particular person, what we call the focal person. The rest of the family isn't privy to the things that are going on. This is done specifically to isolate a particular I, person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the oppression stage slash obsession stage, there's no mistaking that something is wrong. Now we're talking about physical attacks on the focal, usually the focal person, but it could be mm -hmm. anybody else in the family. This is all external. 
um, instead of having scratching noises that you'll get in the infestation stage, now you have beds shaking, um, pounding on the walls in the house that'll shake the whole house. Mm -hmm. um, objects will levitate right in front of you. Um, heavy objects will be moved around uh, on their own. Um, and like I mentioned, the physical attacks, the scratching, the biting, the hair pulling, the punching, the kicking, sometimes even sexual attacks will go on I've through incubus or succubus. And the, the other part of this particular attack, the obsession is an internalized attack. Usually again, it's surrounding the focal person. Um, bad behavior becomes sinful, sinful behavior becomes okay. even worse. The person will develop um, sort of the signs of demonic possession that we look for, an aversion to anything holy, a drastic change in personality, Mm -hmm. um, heavy drug use or alcoholism could now, uh, you know, uh, this person can now turn towards those vices that they never done before. Um, and possession is basically, uh, everybody knows what possession is. It's the takeover right. of the physical body and, and all of the things that happen in the, in the obsession stage, are, you know, continuing to happen in, in the possession stage. But now the person is experiencing blackouts. Um, their behavior could become extremely violent. Mm -hmm. um, people could become promiscuous. And it actually has, at times, um, you know, a change in the physical appearance of the person becomes noticeable. Um, you know, they become very drawn out. They start to age very quickly, things of that nature. The problem is, is that sometimes stages can be skipped. So oh. I, you know, like for the first case, the Halloween horror, that went right to uh, the oppression slash obsession case with a transient possession taking place right from the first moment uh, of the manifestation of, of this demon. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to highlight certain cases that would bring about these three stages and, you know, I picked those particular cases to, uh, you know, to highlight that particular area. So I, I know from researching you a little bit and having this um, similar things happen for myself and Michelle, but um, you, you probably get a lot of people or families contacting you that really it's a mental health issue. But I have found in some cases that it is a close line that they may have had some issues that were mental health. And then it went into, as you just said, the infestation and then going into the next part. And, and it was, um, it was because of something that you said in one of your interviews um, where they not only possess clairvoyance, and, but I was in the middle of a process where I had already known that the young man was schizophrenic and um, you know, ego, as I'm talking to him, I'm thinking, he's just got mental health issues. Your mother just wants me to sit here and talk to you. He was probably in his mid-20s, and he did exactly what you were talking about. He was physically drawn. I didn't know if it was due to drug use, and he was completely lax, like not no energy connected to him at all. So I was leaning forward, and I was saying something to him, and he just seemed dopey. Like he wasn't really responding, and all of a sudden on the table – the ashtray, which was loaded with cigarettes, moved. And it was lit when I say it was just he and I, and I said, did you see that? And he just went, I said, does what? that happen often? And he goes, so yeah. then he looked at me and he said my grandmother's name. And he <gasps> told me, yeah, he like basically had a message from Alicia. And I was like, oh, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention now. So I, I helped him as much as I could um, and advised the family that they needed to get more help. And I, I don't know if they ever did. I, do, I don't but think it was the answer that they wanted. Let's put it's it that surprising. way. It's surprising that the, uh, um, if it was a possession and obviously with the external um, things that were taking place and the knowledge that it was, that the demon would actually um, uh, reveal itself like that 
because they don't like to do that. But the problem is that mental illness will mimic, yep. uh, 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 demonic possession will mimic mental illness. Right. And just because somebody is suffering from mental illness doesn't mean that they're not suffering from diabolical activity. But here's right. the thing that I wanted I want to bring forth to you is this. Do you know who Archbishop Fulton Sheen is? Mm -mm. Well, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, um, of course, he, he was a bishop in, in, the, in the Catholic Church. Basically, um, in the 60s, he was very big. He had a radio program called Life is Worth Living. He was on the on the TV every week. Are you familiar with him? I, yes. Now, yeah, now so, that, as soon as you say that, I remember that. I think my mother he had, had, it he had said <laughs> He had said that, that the, a person's, because when a person leaves this earth and they die, the, the soul leaves the body. The body decomposes and returns to dust from where it came, but the soul lives on. Mm -hmm. Now, he said that, the can, and, and at this point, that person no longer can exercise free will. The free will has been exercised to its fullest extent. It cannot change the things that happened in the past and the things that it has done. Oh, the only okay. thing that's left is the intellect because those are the two functions of the soul. You'll also hear okay. that memory is a part of the three functions of the soul, but uh, intellect is only the data collected from the memory. So in all actuality, the two functions of the soul are intellect and free will. Okay. He said that the, the, the state of the soul in, that goes to hell is a state of perfect mental illness. Wow. So it sort of can give you an idea that a lot of times mental illness um, is actually brought upon by the demonic. It might not be so much as a possession, but there is some kind of an influence on the soul. Um, because the soul is actually what gives us our ability to actually move around and mm -hmm. has it gives the brain the ability to um, actually um, you know be able to draw upon the five senses right. because the brain I believe is just a connection of the physical body to the soul mm -hmm. um, so the soul is gathering the, the data from the five senses which is, is exactly what we use to commit sin. So it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. So when, when the physical body dies, the soul is still left, but the consciousness is still left. I don't know if you can hear that. That's my phone. Uh, my text message is going off. Okay, good. Nope. <laughs> no, we can't. No, it's all so right. ho hopefully it's Godzilla. So if you heard that roar, it's just I don't know. No. I don't hear a text message all day. As soon as I do an interview, I got people texting. Of course. Me. It happens every time. I'm glad you didn't hear it. But uh, my ring doorbell so, went of course. Like, you know, on. that 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 could give you an, an idea. And if you want to hear this one quick story, it's it's fascinating. Please. I'll tell you about it. Yes, please. There was a priest years ago. Um I I mean he's passed on already. Um but I won't mention his name. He was a psychiatrist, actually. And he did a lot of work with um, people who had left cults, like satanic cults and death cults and wicked cults. And, and, and when they would leave, he would work with them, um, you know, not only spiritually, but, um, you know, through mental health. Because mm -hmm. a lot of these people were, were damaged psychologically. And um, one of the things that he had to do is he had he was going to the hospital to bring the Holy Eucharist to a priest who was dying and 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 give him extreme unction, which is the last rites. And mm -hmm. being that he was very familiar with the psychiatric portion of the hospital, he had walked through the psychiatric portion of the hospital. Um, he didn't have a collar on at the time. He was in actually regular clothing. Mm -hmm. And as he was walking through this particular area of the psychiatric hospital, one of the patients had launched themselves against 
the glass that was separating them from the people in the hall. So the father had noticed what was going on and suspected that there might be a spiritual problem with this person. So he went and he did his, you know, he did his uh, pastoral duties. He um, gave the last rites to the priest and gave him communion. And when he was leaving, he got the name of the person, contacted the family, and actually performed an exorcism. <clears throat> excuse me, actually performed oh. an exorcism on this particular person. And the exorcist has to ask certain questions during an exorcism. One of the questions is, why did you enter this person? And the demon responded to stop you from giving that priest his last rites. Wow. So, you know, you can say, well, why does God allow these things to happen? You know, what, you know, wh why did this person get possessed? It's usually there are things happening within the plan that we're not privy to, whether it's right. God's plan or the devil's plan. And we, we actually get caught up in this. And that's why it's very important for us to have a relationship with God, because we never know where within these plans we're, we're being utilized by God and actually by the devil himself. So, you know, it's very important to have this type of, of spiritual connection to God. So you have this type of protection because mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling if that woman had a spiritual sense about her, the devil might not have been able to actually possess her at all. Right. But she was used to somehow stop the father from getting to that priest. That's how important last rites and the Holy Eucharist are in our lives. So, wow. you know, you should take that from where it comes, actually. Uh, incredible story. Do, have you encountered through your work um, the same demon over and over again? Or is it a variety? Or is that not possible? No, it's possible. And I believe that, um, that I have actually um the name of the demon was the same and it, it was a normal human name actually um huh. i dealt with a couple of different cases uh one was father martin's and one was the warren's and we believed that it was the same demon actually so you can't send them back to where they came and like make them stay there they can keep kind of rotating through what we would like to hope that when a demon is ex exercised successfully and cast out, right. that it would go to hell. But that's that's, just, that's not always the case. Uh, there are demons that can possess multiple people at the same time. See, they're not bound by our physical laws. The, okay. the way we're bound so by that God's That makes a lot law, of sense. It does, doesn't They're not it? bound. They operate outside of the natural order God instituted on this earth. We're the only ones as human beings that have to operate within that order. The, the demonic spirits were once with, angels. Confusing. Ralph, Sorry. To kind of to interrupt you there, it ties in with the way we see stuff when we see family and spirit. Oh, yeah. Family will say, well, are they just with my Aunt Wilma? And I'll say, no, because God is in everybody. So they, it's the same thing. There is not one linear line. So they can be in multiple places at once. They can be in California and they can be in Rochester to, so to visit bigger. family. <laughs> well, you, you have to, you have to, I'm sorry. You have to understand no, that, you know, with, the way Father Martin put it actually is, is that when, when whatever we do on this earth, we force God to take a hand in it because we're not, he didn't wind us up like robots, you know, a little wind up dolls and let us go for how many years right. we're going to be like the energizer bunny. You know, he is the one who actually because the the Latin name for soul is anima and animation comes from that word. Oh. So it is actually God that animates us. We're, we're not just out here on our own. So we're all connected to one another through God. Right. And, and that's probably maybe some of what you're picking up psychically is that actual connection to God that we all have. And that's why 
we are all considered uh, brothers and sisters, not only through the mitochondrial Eve gene, gene or the Adam XY gene. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We are also connected as brothers and sisters through God, because we're all made in his image and likeness. Hey, Ralph, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, how, you experience demonic uh, energy, energies and entities. Do, what is your experience? Do you experience ghosts as well when you're called in on cases? And, and how do you differentiate between the two? Well, it's usually by the phenomenon we're experiencing because once again, we, as a human spirit, we're very limited as to what we can do or interact with the natural order that God instituted. We're all made up of electromagnetic energy. We're all energy. Everything in this world has energy to it because it all came from the world. We're very weak to be able to um, affect our natural environment um, without some kind of an external force helping us. So when we die, we're the same exact in death. We don't gain any extra power um, when we die. The only thing that changes is we we no longer have a physical body. You know, Um, the atmosphere or the plateau that we're living on does change because it's no longer connected to the physical world so we're looking for phenomenon now i do believe that uh any kind of a spirit that is active on this earth is actually a purgatorial spirit they're here for a particular punishment maybe Mm. you know uh god tells us not to be um too infatuated with the things of this earth do not be materialistic. Concentrate more on your spiritual aspect than the physical aspect of life. And I believe that it's not that they're bad people that they died in a state of mortal sin, but they were too attached to this earth. So God will um, force them Great to, way part- to, put it. to participate in the earth or to actually be physically conscious of the earth, but not being able to participate in it as a form of, of uh, temporal punishment. Great way to put it. That's the only I thing like I can that. come that's... up with because I've, I've never really been able to get a human spirit to, um, to tell me otherwise, you know, not that I've ever tried. <laughs> <laughs> You're busy doing other things. So um, do you find that you have the same pockets or same areas um, that you return to so maybe it's not the same troubles um but that you wind up in the same spot in whether it's in the bronx um i heard you in an interview say something that i thought was really fascinating and um my boyfriend and i had watched the movie and he said you know why the bronx would be a place like that he said that would have activity like that he said there's so many different religions or practices that oh. kind of intersect there that it seems like there's confusion. Is there some validity to that? I kind of, you kind of said something about that. Well, <laughs> a lot of the areas that I worked in were um, either heavily black or heavily Hispanic. And, you know, you'd have a lot of voodoo in the black yeah. areas and you'd have a lot of Santeria Palo Meambre Uh in the uh you know heavily hispanic populated areas right but you know there there is really no boundary as far as that's concerned because you have the kabbalah you know for um europeans um so you know a a lot of times it's just you know certain areas there might be a, a more of a population messing around with the occult than in other areas but then you'll have You'll have the saint missed out in the, in the Hamptons, yes. you know, so it, it's, it's all over the world. And actually um, it's pretty much a guarantee that we all live within walking distance of somebody who's involved oh. in some type of, a, of an occult practice. I, I agree with that a thousand percent because it's never yeah. the people that you suspect and, and people, um, the good ones, dabble. the good ones, you'll never suspect them. They're organized or they're generational and they put in as much 
they put in as much of their themselves into their occult practices as I do as a traditional Catholic. I will pray my rosary every day. I will say my prayers every day. I will be at mass on my holy days of obligation. They do the exact same thing on the opposite side of the coin. Yeah, wow. and that's what we have here in this in in humanity. See, there isn't. So you can't say that there's like one area particularly that was like a pocket that you felt like really strongly was saturated um, with more demonic possession. No, because, you know, as a cop, I was constantly going in and out of people's houses all night long. And I would see the altars, you know, the Santeria altars. And I would be telling my partner, don't don't touch that stuff. Leave it alone. You know, I'd see the glass of water behind the door when I first walk in or underneath the bed, which What's is that? what what uh, Santeria believes that it what it does is the uh, the evil will go into the glass of water. And in the morning, they'll throw it out the window. Uh, you know, it's a, I believe it's a big fallacy. It's a myth. But this is a part of their practice. Right. Um, you know, but I definitely see the altar with the orange peels and the the iron uh, railroad spikes, the chango and Allegra and all of that. All I haven't of heard about Spanish that one in the, years. The seven African powers that they pray to. Um, and like I said, they take it just as serious as as a, uh, you know, a Catholic will. Wow. Did you ever have, or, and, and maybe um, even going forward in your lifetime, did you ever dream of certain places like premonition prior to experiencing um, getting a call um, for a demonic? And as soon as you got there, you were like, okay, I've already seen this. So I already knew this was coming or has, has a lot of um, information played out for you in dreams. No, not really. Um, I I really don't remember my dreams, to tell you the truth. You're too busy. Um, I, I I have I have a clean conscience, so I, I sleep deep, you know. <laughs> oh God! But no, I, I've never I've never had that. Um, I've I've had um, I've had dreams where they were not dreams; they were actually attacks of the devil. I've had a, a few of them over the course. Of beginning when I first began in the work, I I had um, an incident in my sleep that I know wasn't a dream. I know it was the devil. He had said something to me, but I could not remember what it was he said. But when he spoke to me, I knew who he was, um, and I knew it was a threat. But like I said, I can I can still see the dream, but I don't. I I remember hearing his voice and knowing who he was. But I can't for the life of me remember what it was that he said to me. Um, wow. But whatever it was, it didn't work because I'm still involved in the work and I'm still here. You know, right. Um, it was just a way to, to frighten you. I find yeah, when I, I have I some of so. those dreams, it's almost like they're talking underwater. Yes. I, and I, like I said, I, it out. I don't remember the voice itself. I right. don't remember what he said, but I remember that it was it was him that was speaking to me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I really do believe that he was trying to scare me off. But, you know, uh, God is more powerful than he is. So I'm still here, you know, and that's so the way what, I look at it. Uh, you and I, we were speaking the other day on the phone. You were talking about um, some of your practices that you commit yourself to, to make sure that you stay clear or that after mm -hmm. uh, perhaps sessions that you stay clear. Um I know obviously prayer and probably the rosary on a pretty regular basis. Um, I carry my rosary to all sessions. I found, ironically, I found anytime I took my rosary out, if they had a cat, the cat came from nowhere and would try and steal it. Yes. I don't know what was on there. I had two sets of rosary beads. One was of my dad's that he wore when he was in Beirut and um, he gifted them to me. And so I carry those everywhere. But every time I'd put them out, the cat would try and take them. So I had to always like leave them in the little pouch. Um, so what do you do, Ralph, that kind of keeps you not only like your, your energy clear, your soul clear, and kind of operating at a higher vibration? Well, I, I try to remain in a state of grace. Confession is uh, one of the things that is a must. Um, I cannot live my life in a perpetual state of mortal sin, not only will I lose my soul, 
but the devil will have a field day with me. So, you know, I, I know that he's constantly trying to throw, um, you know, things at me to get me to fall into a state of mortal sin. So confession is something that um, is, is a must at least once a month. Um, as when I, if, when I do have the misfortune of falling into a state of mortal sin, I am in church confessing that sin at my earliest opportunity. I actually, I, I had a bishop friend of mine in New Mexico. I used to call him on the phone and go to confession with him on the phone, you know, mm. just to, to remain nice. in a state of grace as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, definitely keeping the um, Holy Days of Obligation, which is every Sunday um, for Catholics and Holy Days of Obligation, which come out throughout the year. I believe there are 12 Holy Days of Obligation um, in the traditional Catholic Church. And of course, praying the rosary is a very, very powerful weapon against the devil. Um, there's been a lot of uh, exorcists out there who have questioned the demonic on this. And, you know, they say that the, the rosary is something that they fear very, very greatly because you got to understand that when Lucifer threatened God, that he was going to set up a counter government against his plan and he was going to destroy the infinite word and the woman, which is how God revealed to the angelic spirits at that particular time. Um, he revealed Jesus and the Blessed Mother as the infinite word and the woman. Uh, because the, the angels are going through a probation period like we are. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the angels that accepted God, uh, you know, passed and, and are now with God. The angels that rebelled are no longer with God. They're with the, you know, the devil. And when, when Lucifer threatened God that he was going to destroy the infinite word and the woman, God said to him, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And she will crush your head and you will lie in wait for her heel. So God was telling the devil, this is how you are going to lose in the end. That little woman that you just threatened with destruction is going to crush your head and you'll lie in wait for her and you won't, you'll be powerless to do anything about it. Sure. That is a constant theme that runs through the devil constantly. You know, there is no time frame in the spirit world. So the yes. devil is constantly, there's no, there's no relief from that threat. That's a constant thing. And he's very, very fearful of the blessed mother. So when you have a devotion to the mother of God and you honor the mother of God, the devil sees this and it frightens him. So it keeps him at bay. He's still going to mess with you, but he's going to mess with you from a further distance than right involved with your energy, he's going to be moved back. He's not going to go be, be able to go near your aura. I love that. Me too. Um, well, then let me ask you another question. Um, you, well, as you're going through this now, are you getting asked to um, – perform other duties as far as religious duties? Are you not drawn to do any of those kinds of things? Just this, just the, the work of God in, in, as, a, as a tool, but maybe not going in um, and doing any kind of teachings or anything like that. Well, I do You're teach. teaching, really. Oh, you do? Yeah, I, I do teach. I, I stopped for a while. I developed a curriculum. I was teaching a uh, non-matriculating course for Harper College for two semesters. It was an online course. Um, and then I went and I started to teach on my own. Uh, okay. But like I said, I, I had moved from, my mother passed away three years ago. I had moved from New York to Florida. So I sort of slowed down with the teaching. But, I, you know, I have a lot of people contacting me and asking me, um, how, how do I become a demonologist? And you know, I, I, I tell them, well, you know, it's more than just reading a book. Mm. You know, it's a lot of people go out, they read a couple of books and now they're a demonologist. And in, in all actuality, they're really, they don't know what they're doing. You know, I don't want to sound mean or anything like that, but I don't lie at the same time. You're not <laughs> going to learn how to be a demonologist from a couple of books. And they're going to probably and, in danger that way. Wouldn't you say they put themselves in danger by kind of going in half? Cocked in a sense. 
well, not only themselves, they're putting the people that are calling them for help in danger. They're the first ones. Because when when you have a, um, a case of diabolical activity, a lot of times the demon has spent a lot of time, even though there's no time frame in the spirit world, in our terms, they've, they've worked a lot to get themselves to the point that they're in. And okay. they might be very close to a possession at this particular point. Or they right. might have a possession. When a person seeks help, it angers the demonic. They don't like that kind of stuff. So when they reach out to, uh, you know, to a, uh, a priest or a demonologist or somebody who can bring them a spiritual aspect of to what's going on, you've now put yourself in between that demon and that person. Uh, so. They're angry at the people, but they're angrier at you because now you can mess up their plans. You know, and a lot of people say, ah, it's because, you know, when they possess a person, the pains of hell are lessened for them. That's not true. The, the pain that hell is not so much as a physical place, but a state. And, and the demonic will always suffer the absence of God because that's what the pains of hell are. It's God actually abandons that soul strictly because that person's soul abandoned God. So now God no longer has that connection to it. Right. So, you know, the, the, the suffering is consistent wherever that demon is, no matter what it's doing, that suffering is still consistent. It's the fact that they want, they hate God so much that they want to take that soul away from him, no matter what it costs them, no matter how much suffering they do, no matter how intense it is, they want that soul away from God because they hate him and they hate that soul. No matter how much they might have worshipped the devil, they are hated. There is no love like God gives love. It's totally different. It's the opposite side. The only thing you're going to get from the devil is hatred. Wow. You cannot love. So tell us one of the, the, well, tell us your scariest encounter, if that was the one that was on the show. Or tell us one of the, the ones where you thought to yourself, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. Well, it was the first case um, that I wrote about in the book, The Halloween Horror, when I went down to that basement. Yeah. Um, that, that grip that I was put in, um, it was only for a very, very short period of time because I, I knew the ways to protect myself. And it was that that moment of of actual fear that I got. Um, the not being able to breathe, the pain that I experienced in my head, which I I usually experience when I'm dealing with a case of demonic activity is that pain that I get in my temple, mm -hmm. um, either the right or the left side. It, it doesn't. You know, it's not consistent with one particular part that not being able to move, you know, mm. it was the feeling of not being able to breathe um, where um, I couldn't even speak. So I, I was able to get the holy water in my back pocket and, and use that to actually um, break the hold. And th this is actually the, the, the holy water bottle that I had in my back pocket um, in wow. that, that I carried on all my cases, always in my back pocket. Um, which was able to get me out of that basement. And I, I backed up those steps. I didn't turn my back on the basement. I backed up the steps. Just quickly, just quickly, because I know the story, but can you tell our listeners the call and, and how you came to be there and what exactly happened in the basement? Well, we had, um, we had received a phone call from an exorcist, at that time, I was working with uh, Joe Forrester, who was my partner. Mm -hmm. um, we had received a phone call from, uh, we called him Father Hayes. It wasn't his real name. From uh, Back in those days, um, exorcists did not reveal their identities to anybody. You know, um, And there weren't many of them. There was a very, very small amount. Mm -hmm. And he had called Joe and said, I, have, I just received a call from, from this family. Uh, in the book, I made it Westchester County, but it was actually, it was Staten Island, New York. 
Oh, and okay. um, they had, there's a family had contacted their local parish priest for help, but he was not, he was not um, in a position to help the family, so, but he knew of the, the exorcist. So he had uh, put the family in touch with the exorcist and the exorcist put the family in touch with us. And that's when we had gone to, uh, you know, to help them out. That's how we got that case. Wow. <laughs> Amazing book. Um, I, I have one final question for you. Um, does your daughter have any of this ability? No, I have two no? daughters. Oh, okay. And um, no, there, there, there is there is no ability with that. I'm just I'm just trying to get him to go to church every Sunday right now. So, you know, <laughs> you oh, know. wait a minute. How old are they, Ralph? Um, my oldest daughter is 30 and the youngest one is 24. Oh, wow. That's 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 busy. Like, you don't look like you could be old enough to have kids that age. Yeah, but... I do. And I am old. Trust me. <laughs> no, you're not. Right. I'm old. Um, no, no. Um, I want to say a quote from, um, I believe you had said it, um, or maybe it was Father McKenna had said it to you. Um, evil isn't trying to steal your property. It's trying to steal your essence and, or your soul. Yeah. Was that you or was that Father? Yeah, I, that's I, I think, I believe I said that when we were doing a featurette for Deliver Us From Evil. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had, uh, I had, uh, camera crew following me around for three months it was very annoying to me but um scott derrickson had asked me to do this yeah so i did it you know as just like a feature or a precursor to the movie um so uh i, I believe i was at the four six precinct and i was asked the question about that and and basically that's what the demonic are trying to get they're trying to get you right because they hate yeah. us it, it, I'll tell you, every bit of this is fascinating. Um, the Demon Files and Hostage to the Devil, are those also writings of yours or you contributed to those? Well, it, The Demon Files was a, a show that I had done for Destination America. I, I highlighted three of my cases on that. Okay. Um, it, it only went to three cases and that was the end of it. They, they didn't want me to pray. They tried to get me to stop praying. Oh, well, you know what? I've heard that before with all these Nick networks. They're like, and don't yeah. church it. They don't and want I can it. And I remember saying to one of the producers, well, how am I going to do that? Like, that's part of my, yeah. that's what I do. Well, you know, they, they wanted me to capture ghosts in a, in, a, in a box, you know, or something like that, you know. So um, I, that's a wonder that that show even happened, to tell you the truth, because I had told that it was actually Discovery owns Destination America. Right. And I told him, I told him at one point, I said, go pound sand. I'm not doing it. Forget it. It's not <laughs> happening. So it was Eddie Bellini, the producer that said, calm me down, rein me in a little bit, said, just give, just give me three days. So I was like, okay. And it was in those three days that I actually decided to do hostage to the devil, which was something totally different. Um, I was only interviewed in that and, you know, had some, uh, some behind the scenes work that I was doing with uh, Marty Stalker and, okay. um, you know, uh, Mr. Peterson and, and Rob Morrow. But uh, it was, it was actually about Father Martin. So, you know, uh, it was, it was an right. honor to be involved in that. And, you know, Father Martin had given me so much uh, that it was my way of giving back to him, you know? Love so um, once Hostess to the Devil was, out of the way and and i had done what i had to do for that production then Hoss, uh, uh the demon files actually did um happen to uh come to fruition obviously i had a, a a very big conference call with a couple of people and we sort of hashed out some differences and um was actually to get some editing control which is unheard of i got a little editing control and basically made sure the demon files came out the way I wanted it to come out. Right. Not no baloney. There was no baloney right. with that, you know, no changing words and putting words in people's mouths. I didn't stand for that. And I told them that's not happening. That's going to be changed. And it, and it did work that way. But I, I think that my charming personality, uh, <laughs> they said, we're not working with him because 
you know, if, if it is successful, we're not going to be able to control him at all. So, um, you know, and they, they wanted me to stop praying and mentioning the name of Jesus and the Blessed Mother. And I says, it ain't going to happen. I, ha I had a show one time where they, you know, they, they had me come and I did a show, you know, where I do the readings and with the audience and everything. And during the show, I had said to the audience and that's something I say I said you know heaven is whatever you choose it to be so if you decide that your heaven is 1984 or you know God lets you go wherever you want to go I got done with the show and the owner of the facility said you need to stop saying that that's not you know that's against God and everything and he and I had about two seconds of going oh Okay. And then I thought, Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. That's not how I roll. Like that's, you know, this is the, this is, this is the way God gave this to me to give to people. So I'm not going to change it just because one person doesn't like my, my, the way I say something, my deliverance. So yeah, well, I if, he's, if he's the guy that's paying the checks, then, you know, it goes his way. That's I know. Well, he, thankfully, thankfully by then he had already paid me. But, you know, it was all set. It was all set and done. Um, yeah, I, what, do you have, what do you have coming up that um, our, our listeners can um, maybe catch on to? Are you doing anything? Are you doing your well, own I, podcast or anything like that? No, I, I, uh, I have a YouTube channel okay. where I, highlight, I actually highlighted uh, uh, some of the cases in my book. Um, oh, it's what's been a the while YouTube channel? I, what's the YouTube channel? Uh, it's Ralph Saatchi. Oh, okay. um, but it's also it's called the uh, "Deliver Us from Evil" the series. There's a lot of Ooh. there's a lot of "Deliver Us from Evil" um, things on there that Sony had done, and you know some people are, are using "Deliver Us from Evil" also. But it is Ralph Sachi, um, and and you'll be able to see some of the videos that I put. I think I have maybe about nine or ten of them, and I stopped for a while because it, it you know it, it gets to be a lot of work sometimes. You yeah. Know? Imagine. Um, and being that I am old uh, and I'm retired, I, I like I like some of the the time that I have to myself now. And like I said, I, I have a Facebook page for now. Uh, eventually, Facebook will stop us from uh, speaking about yeah. religion uh, the way right. they are with the politics. They will eventually get around to, you know, you can't speak about Jesus, you can't speak about the Blessed Mother, you can't That's pray the Rosary. Uh, you know, because sometimes I pray a live rosary on Facebook. Um, but that's those are the two ways. I'm, eventually, I'll get a website because I'm going to eventually dump Facebook. So I will have a way for people to get in touch with me um, if they so choose. And I, I most likely I will get around to uh, getting a, a Zoom where I can you know, teach my classes. I got a lot of people. Uh, Boy, let that, us so. know, Ralph, let us know when you're doing that. I would love okay. to participate in that and, and hear you okay. speak and, and learn more. Um, okay. Because every time, every day, everything I do, I realize how little I know and how much more I need to learn. I'm always going to be a student. So much. Well, more. I'm still learning myself, you know, like, yeah. like yourselves. I'm always learning. It's, you know, uh, I, I pick up a lot of little things by just, hearing a very, very well, um, uh, you know, spoken sermon, uh, you know, and it could be just, just a tiny little bit, but you know, it's, it's not intelligence that I'm after. It's not knowledge I'm after it's wisdom. That's what I want. I want wisdom because knowledge and wisdom are two different things. And you can offer me a boatload of knowledge and a thimble full of wisdom. And I'm taking the wisdom every single time. Wisdom is a gift of the Holy Ghost. And right. that, you know, our goal on this earth is to love God and to love our neighbors, but it's also to get into heaven. That's the goal. And you don't get into heaven if you don't have wisdom. You know, um, there's no PhDs in heaven. You, you know, everybody's right. the same. Your, your knowledge doesn't mean diddly. If you don't get into heaven, what is, what is it? What was it for? I appreciate you, you. I appreciate this. And I appreciate you so much, Ralph. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Like I said, I, I was tr trying to, to research everything and there's so much out there about you and to our listeners again, make sure you get his book, Beware the night and Del deliver uh, us get from it. evil. 
and deliver us from from evil evil. yeah Yeah. deliver us from evil um is the movie and trust me if you like that genre you will not be disappointed it is excellent (laughs) and it's excellently made um just a really good all the way around 10 out of 10 so again thank you for your service as an uh police officer um, and thank you again for, for doing what you do as a demonologist. And please, please keep us updated. Appreciate you so much. You. And yeah. as always, thank you to D. Scott for being our wonderful producer and to my wonderful friend and co-host, Michelle lyons Felito. Thank you, as always. Oh, thank you, guys. And thank you to our listeners. Right. Thanks for, for subscribing, sharing, suggesting, and liking us, uh, keeping your suggestions coming. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. I wonder if I got all it takes to get along with what this madness creates. I believe I might give in to my identity. Is this just the role I'm playing or is it me?